Welcome to The Landing, the podcast that goes into the brush with foresters, contract loggers, and operators of the Pacific Northwest timber industry. Welcome back to The Landing, everyone. I'm your host, Jason Davenport, and today we have on Dana Campbell, and for the second time now, Dana, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right. <laughs> I'm sorry about that, man. I I cannot remember to press the record button on this damn thing, so... Um, <laughs> But uh, like I was saying, like, um, so how did you get into, you know, being a logger? Is that a family kind of thing or did you just kind of fall into it otherwise? Uh, yeah, I suppose the, my granddad, uh, was a logger and my parents, um, well, at least my mom on, on that side grew up in logging camps and that was kind of always something there. And then, uh, my brother-in-law married to my sister when I was a kid. Uh, they had a little logging company and I started working, uh, well, probably about the second grade out there dragging chokers around and helping a little bit where I could. And, uh, then, you know, ended up in a small town where, where, uh, when you graduated high school, you knew what you were going to do. Cause that was about the only thing going on around there. So you just, Went and did a little bit of sawmilling for a while, and then and then got into the logging end of it, and been there ever since. And so you got camel contract cutting now. Um, How did you decide that you wanted to go into business for yourself, and and when did all that start? Uh, it was always kind of a a dream to have my own outfit after I'd been logging for quite a while and seeing uh, some of the loggers out there that were successful and it just seemed like you know that was that was where I wanted to go and and uh so I worked for a lot of years for Sap Brothers Logging over in Alsea and and I learned a lot a lot of people over there I learned you know uh, everything I know and uh they were good loggers good people and uh it just uh it happened where I was working for uh, Don Newman and um, running Feller Buncher and, and things. And um, yeah, he talked about that, but he ended his life. And so I kind of ran the outfit for his wife for a couple, two and a half years. And then she decided that she wanted to get out of it. And, and so I was able to buy a piece of machinery from her and, and I'd made a good enough reputation with the uh, Willamette Industries and and then warehouser people that I was able to keep going on my own. So that's when it all kind of started around 2002 or so. Oh, yeah, I you've think. been going for a while then. Yeah, yep. That's cool. How many sides are you up to now? I mean, you guys are mostly just cutting, right? Uh, Yeah. We're doing, we've got two of the tether machines and, and three feller bunchers. And, uh, we do mostly tether cutting and we've been doing some tether logging now. Um, that's, uh, that's getting more and more something we're focusing on. And so 
it's it's worked out pretty good. So talking about the tethering stuff, like for people that are outside the industry, um, can you kind of explain how all that works? Well, it's a machine. It's kind of like an excavator that that uh, we have these winch systems, and uh, they get engineered and mounted on the machines. And so they've got two cables that come off of that machine and go through pulleys and basically hook on to a track feller buncher. And, uh, and it's a, it's a pressure sensing system. So it's all ran by the guy in the feller buncher with his pedals for his tracks. And, uh, it's a traction assist system. So he can go on a lot steeper ground and uh, have the cables hooked to him so he doesn't take off sliding and and it gives him traction to go places where we never could before and uh, we had to hand cut those areas and it's uh, it's eliminated a lot of dangerous work for for hand cutters and uh, so it's it's proven to work really well and and we're getting pretty good at it yeah i know um I seen Doug cut some stuff and I'm like, man, I don't even want to walk down that. <laughs> yeah. Doug's a phenomenal operator. I'm, I'm happy to have him. Uh, he's, he's a super good operator and he's not scared of anything as most people know. So <laughs> he sets the bar pretty high for a lot of other guys. Just watching him scares most of the other guys away from it, you know, but we try not to, we try not to push guys, you know, any further than they're comfortable. And, and uh, my other operators, a phenomenal operator, also Travis Dunbar, and he didn't like it very much at first, but he's actually pretty good at it, and he gets on plenty steep ground, and and uh, so it's worked out really well. I've been able to uh, not have so many hand cutters and dangerous positions and stuff, so it's a little more comforting there. It's, this seems dangerous. It seems dangerous with the machines on the steep ground, but it's it's actually proven to be pretty safe, if not a little safer than just running buncher and trying to get steep ground without lines hooked to you, you know? Yeah, I was going to kind of ask you about that. Is, um, so how do you decide, like, what jobs get tethered and which jobs don't? Is it all just mostly operator, you know, preference on, and comfort, or is there, like, rules about that? Um, no, no set rules. We look at jobs and, and, uh, you know, I kind of, I got a good idea of what they can do and what they can't do. And, and then I usually include the operators, uh, also we'll go look at units together and, and it's up to them, you know, how far they want to go. It's, you know, if they can't get it, then we'll just hand cut it. You know, that's kind of where I leave it. Gotcha. I don't want to push anybody out of their comfort zone, you know, no. to act with it. Yeah, definitely. Um, so the whole tethering stuff, it seems like you guys were a pretty early adopter of that. And I wanted to ask you, you know, what went into that, uh, for you, you know, as a guy who's run a buncher and stuff, like, was that a hard transition to make or was it, did it seem like it was pretty, um, you know, like it was a logical thing to do? I thought I knew about it and some guys trying it over in New Zealand and stuff for quite a while. And I was actually 110% against it. 
really? I thought it was, I thought it was the dumbest thing I'd ever seen and, and, uh, the most dangerous for operators and, and, uh, the more and more I educated myself on it and went and looked at an operation and kind of got my own opinion on it, it, it started to make more sense. And I thought Warehouser, you know, contracting for them would probably be the last people on the planet to even consider such a thing with their safety and, and everything. And, and I was surprised that that was the direction that they wanted to go. And, and they wanted me to pursue it. And so I ended up uh, deciding, you know, like I say, after, after really looking into it and educate myself and seeing some other guys, uh, and the way they go about it, then I decided I thought we could do it too. So we put a machine together and, and, uh, got it going. I think we were, Oh, maybe about the second people in Oregon to put a machine together. I think it was, yeah, about the second ones. I think it was, Pretty new innovative deal. Yeah, it's um, starting to be a lot more popular now. But um, would you? Oh, geez, now I can't talk. Um, were you guys running that traction line base machines like from right out of the gate then? Or yes, yeah, okay. yeah, that one made a lot more sense to me, and and the system works in my opinion a lot better. It's a lot smoother. Uh, it's got better braking and. And, uh, and then the, you know, the, the two cables, um, are a lot stronger than a single line as far as for breaking strength. So a little extra security there. Have you had any issues like trying to find operators and, and, you know, it's kind of a huge thing right now is just people trying to find help. Have you guys had any issues with that? Um, yeah, yeah, it's doesn't seem to be anybody out there wanting to, uh, wanting to get out and work. Um, yeah, it's definitely been tough. I haven't really needed any operators. Uh, I try to keep the guys, you know, that I've had and try to keep them happy and, and I don't have a lot of turnover, which is good for me. But, um, yeah, if I lost a person, it'd be, it'd be tough to replace. Just seems like, Nobody wants to get out there and do it anymore. That's kind of why I wanted to dive into this with you a little bit. Cause I mean, I've known you for two and a half, three years now, and you've always had the same employees since I've known you. What goes into keeping guys happy and keeping them around? Cause I know some outfits have quite a bit of turnover, but I haven't seen that with your outfit. Um, I don't know. I, I tried not to, uh, I, I try not to push the guys. Um, I, uh, I concern myself with their personal lives and, and, you know, make sure that they have weekends to go relax and spend time with family and just, uh, you know, I'm one of the guys too, when it comes down to it and I, I know what I like and dislike. And so, I mean, we got to get out there and work every day of the week, but I try not to push them, you know, to doing anything that they're uncomfortable with. And I try to pay them as much as I possibly can. And, uh, you know, if not more than a lot of outfits and, 
you know, the guys have been with me for a while. I try to, you know, give them incentive, you know, every year or two, you know, they get raises and they're pretty decent raises. And, you know, you just got to try to keep guys happy, help them when they're down, you know? Yeah. I think it's pretty cool. I mean, like I said, uh, you know, I've known a lot of people in the industry and I've known you a couple of years now and I never, you know, you don't have any turnover. And I think that's really cool. It's one of the things I wanted to try and hit on with this. Cause it seems like some outfits, you know, they just have turnover all the time and, I think there's, um, you know, logical ways to kind of prevent that kind of stuff. And it sounds like what you're doing is definitely working. Yeah. I had a buddy of mine tell me a long time ago that, you know, you get these machines and, and they're so expensive and the, the payment on them is, you know, huge, anywhere from 10 to $15,000 a month, you know, per machine. And, uh, you know, a guy's wages is dropping the bucket when it comes to that kind of stuff. And if you guys got, you know, if you got guys out there that are just making the average wage, like everybody else, kicking them up an extra five bucks will make their, their year, you know, or their, you know, it just makes them so happy that they get a, a bump that big in it. You know, it's really pretty small in the big picture. And, you know, so it's just paying them good and let them make a living. You know, I'm not out here to get rich and I'm not getting rich, but I make pretty comfortable living and I try to make sure they do too. No, that makes sense. Definitely. If you, if you got guys that are out there producing and doing a good job for you, you know, that's a really good way to incentivize them to stick around. Yeah. Yep. Yep. We try to do, uh, you know, guys that have been with me a long time. A lot of people know that, you know, I've, I'll treat them to certain things, uh, elk hunts and stuff, taking, taking some of my guys on elk hunts and, and different things, you know, to Vegas and do some trips. Doug and I just went and spent the weekend in Vegas here not too long ago and watched the, uh, semifinal NHRA drags. And, you know, we try to do something like that with each one of the guys about every year. Oh, that's awesome. That's really cool. Yeah. I um I mean, I'm an employee too, Dana. I mean, that's uh, all the things that you're just talking about. I mean, I'd be happy to have uh, an employer that would, you know, treat me to that kind of stuff and I'm I'm glad to hear that, you know, there's logging outfits like yourself that are 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 that way still cuz it seems like a lot of that's kind of gone by the wayside in the last I don't know, 5 10 years, you know. It's like uh seems like numbers are starting to matter a lot more than than people sometimes and uh it's i'm just it's nice it's refreshing to hear that you know guys like you're treating people good still yeah we try you know sometimes i learned in the past sometimes you know just a little bonus money it seems to uh you know it'll make them happy for a minute but uh it gets forgotten about and and uh so uh, for me, it's, it's kind of neat to do some things for some of these guys that they wouldn't ordinarily be able to do or, or try to afford by themselves, you know, and, uh, and it's personal time and, and, uh, it just, it seems to work, you know, we've done, like I say, a lot of things, Hawaii trips and, 
Uh, here, I got a charter boat rented for towards the end of this month. We're going to take everybody out on a fishing trip for the day, you know, and play hooky on a Friday and go do that. You nice. know, just just some little things. Yeah, I think it all adds up and means a lot in the end, though, because I, you know, the, those kinds of things, I feel like it, you know, makes people feel like they're a part of something, more like they're a part of your family than they just were working for you, you know? Yep. Yep, that's the way I feel about all my guys. They're they're pretty much family, so they have my back and I have theirs, and I make sure they know it. That's awesome. So where yep. do you see yourself going with your business in the next five years? Because I um, know that I know it's a weird question, like kind of bland, but it seems like the industry is changing quite a bit now. It has, you know, over the last five years. So you think that um, there's going to be less and less boots on the ground, or what are you thinking? Well, I think that's the direction the industry's starting to go, just because of the lack of laborers. Right. Um, we're having to mechanize more, more of the logging. So it's uh you got to be innovative to stay in it. We're, we're considering, uh, lots of things. Um, maybe use the system in other areas. Uh, talk to some people about, about some of the fuels reduction, uh, opportunities and, and maybe put a mower head on a buncher and, and be able to tether some, some ground and, and, uh, do some fuels reduction stuff with the same system, you know, things of that nature. You just got to be innovative about it and keep an open mind and see where it goes. I got my boys are involved with the business and, and, uh, so, you know, want to keep things going and, and, uh, listen to their, their opinions and cause they're the ones that are going to keep the ball rolling after I decide to get out of it or step back and, and so, you know, it's a lo- it's a younger generation. We're dealing with a lot of younger guys out there and in positions that, uh, you know, they see eye to eye with a little bit better than I do. So just, you know, got to keep our, keep our focus and, and just, you know, roll with the times. I think that's pretty awesome that, uh, Cause it seems like there's been a couple of outfits, you know, big outfits recently that have closed their doors. Um, you know, Fallon shut down and I just think that, you know, I don't know for sure. I think that they didn't have like any secession planning, you know, for anyone to take over the business when the owner retired. And that's neat to hear that, you know, your boys are going to kind of carry on with your business. Yeah, I'm hoping so. Um, that was always my goal is try to build something and, uh, you know, to where they had, they had something to, uh, you know, do for a career and hopefully, I don't know whether they would have picked the same one I did, but I kind of forced them into it. (laughs) (laughs) So so it's always been my goal to leave behind something for them, you know, make their life a little bit easier than it was for me on the way up and, you know, just see a, see a future. Yeah. So what is one of your least favorite parts of running a business? Uh, well, I'd have to say it's the stress. I mean, there's a lot of stress and uh, the logging industries, you know, always threatened by so many different things and, 
and uh, I got a lot of families that depend on me. So, I mean, the stress is the biggest thing that I I hate. The other biggest thing, of course, is being in a business that threatens people's lives every day. You know, my my workers are all you know, in a dangerous industry and, and there's a lot of danger and, and, uh, you know, that's, that's one of the biggest ones for me that I hate happen to be in an industry where it's so dangerous. So spend a lot of extra time on safety and, and, uh, you know, try to take the extra steps, spend the extra money, whatever it takes to, to make this job safe for my guys, you know? As far as I know, you guys have a pretty good safety record, don't you? Yeah, yeah, for the most part. I mean, we've had some terrible accidents. We've lost a, a couple guys in uh, hand falling, and and one of them being my son, my oldest son. So you know, we take we take uh, safety pretty serious, especially you know after those. Yeah, I can't imagine going through that, Dana. Yeah, it's, it's your worst nightmare. So what kind of goes into um, your safety culture now with your company? Uh, I would imagine that that takes forefront over just about everything is, is doing the job safely now. Um, so what does that look like for you guys? Like, do you, is it a daily thing or is it, you know, something you'll mostly go over with your operators when you're walking the jobs or? How does that work at Camel Contract Cutting? Well, we do uh, we do lots of safety meetings and uh, um, warehousers. You know, basically the years that I've been with them, it's been uh, it's been pretty neat that they you know they push you into safety and and they have a lot of trainings that teaches you you know. Uh, a, a good safety path and, and, you know, knowledge from other contractors and, and relaying accidents and stuff like that. And so, you know, that's kind of the way I've built my business is, is basically, you know, a lot of what we've learned from them and their safety programs that they've put forth. And, uh, so we do lots of, you know, daily safety meetings, uh, lots of tailgate, you know, a lot more tailgate and stuff, but you're always talking about the dangers out there and, and how to take care of different issues and, and our options and always make sure the guys know, you know, that if, if you're unsure about it, don't do it. And we'll, we'll get together and put our heads together and address the situation and, uh, deal with it in the right way, or we just won't mess with it at all, you know? And everybody is free to make that decision. Um, you know, everybody has different skill levels and some guys are, you know, their, their confidence is, is way more than their competence. And you got to recognize that as an owner and, and know, you know, what your guys are capable of and, and make sure that they know that they, they can say, no, I'm not going to do it at any time. There's no repercussions from that. I think that's a very, really important point, you know, is um, I think some people in this industry, you know, get kind of this headstrong mentality that, you know, I can do anything and I'll do that. I'm way more badass than the next guy. 
And I think sometimes it's a pretty, you know, it's just their pride talking. It's not their skill level or their competency. And I think that gets some people in trouble. Yeah. Yeah, it, it can. And, you know, when it comes down to it, those, these guys are, you know, they're taking chances all the time. Um, we, we have a unique industry where we're dealing with mother nature, you know, and mother nature sometimes is, is the most dangerous thing out there. You know, things can fall out of the, out of the trees at any time and clobber somebody, you know, and, uh, so it's, you know, it, it just takes a lot of, a lot of training and, and, uh, a lot of awareness and, and making sure guys, you know, aren't in a rush and pushed, you know, where they're taking shortcuts and stuff, you know? Yeah. So you guys run all John Deere bunchers then? Yep. Yep. All three of them are John Deere. Gotcha. So what, uh, goes into a decision like that, you know, cause there's a lot of different manufacturers out there nowadays that building feller bunchers. I kind of wanted to ask, you know, why, why did you choose John Deere and, and, uh, kind of dig into a little bit of that stuff. Cause there's a big debate, you know, everyone's a Ford Chevy Dodge kind of thing with the equipment these days. So. Yeah. I ran the deal, uh, for a long, long time. I had lots of the deal feller bunchers and, and they were super good machines. Um, you know, the John Deere's were, were out there. Um, used to be timber jacks basically <laughs> excuse me and uh, <clears throat> you know Medill Corporation went out of business and so that was that and we kind of were forced to do something else and and uh, basically the mechanics and a lot of people I knew that went from Medill to John Deere and uh, they're damn good people and good mechanics and and uh so we ended up uh you know buying a deer and basically the service has been top notch i don't know that they're the best machine out there right but they're a very good machine that runs every day there's things about them i don't like and i never have and they haven't changed and i get frustrated about that but i could see the that. service the service is, is top priority with me. Um, we break down and make a call and those guys are on it, you know, and the parts availability has always been fantastic. And so, and all the people there are good to deal with. So that's, that's the reason I, I run John Deere anyway. Gotcha. And you guys try and it seems like you keep a pretty fresh fleet of machines. Um, yeah, I try to. You know, yep. as opposed to running higher hour machines and having, you know, maybe some more breakdowns or, or, you know, bigger breakdowns when you do have them. What is kind of your theory on that? Is it just, well, you, know, you get a little bit better production out of a newer machine or? Yeah. Yeah. They're, you know, those things get abused out there and, and, you know, after so long, you just start having a lot of issues. And so for me, it's worked out better if I try to get rid of a machine and get some value out of it uh, before it's, you know, completely ran out and no good. 
and uh, just try to keep the newer machine and try to keep, you know, most of the time I have them on, on warranty so I don't have the cost of repairs that can be extremely expensive. And, and so it's just, uh, it becomes, a you know, just a part of doing business. It's, it's an expense that's always going to be there that I just count on having to put out, you know, is a payment on the machine. So, so that's kind of the reason we, we rotate them out, try to, you know, get rid of them around 4,000 to, to 5,000 hours. And, and we're getting a new one. No, that makes sense. That way, like you're saying, when you get out of it, there still is, you know, quite a bit of value left in that machine that you can recuperate some of your, some of the cost of a new machine that way. Yeah. Yep. And they, they do, they start, you know, it's noticeable after you've had several that, you know, they start getting these breakdowns and it just comes to a point where you're going to deal with, a lot of wore out parts and having to put money back into them. And so I just choose to, to update them and, uh, the, the production level that we're usually on, we don't have time to be broke down all the time, you know, and, and it's better for my operators. I like having newer stuff and, and, uh, I don't expect them to be frustrated and have to work on a piece of crap machine all the time, you know, uh, it keeps the operators happy having a, having something that's not broke down, you know? Yeah. I think that's a big one too. Cause like I, you know, I talk to a lot of people and there's operators that don't mind wrenching on stuff every now and then, but then you get some of these other guys that they really don't want to do that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Some guys just don't want to throw the money at it and, and, uh, they just run things that are, junk, you know, and, and get by with it. A lot of guys do okay with it. I, you know, I see, see some different outfits out there and maybe not just in the logging industry, but to just run things forever until they just have to replace something. And then they might just replace it with a, something used. that was a little bit better, you know, right. <laughs> I just, I just choose to go a different route, I guess. Yeah, no, it's understandable. Everyone kind of has their preferences, and that's what's cool about it, you know, is there's a million different ways to skin a cat. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So with the tether base machines, that's kind of, I think it's a pretty neat deal. But, like, what are, the? I guess, some of the, I've never really gotten into, you know, some of the rules and regulations with tethering. It just seems like it's not really the wild, wild west with that stuff anymore, but I know there's got to be rules and regulations and stuff with associated with that. So what are some of those? Like, is there limitations to ground you can get on, you know, by rule or how does that work? Uh, yeah, there's, you know, it's, it's a new thing. So, uh, there's some rules that were made that don't make any sense at all. And, and it's just because, you know, our OSHA system, they're brand new to it. And so they're trying to learn as they go so they can make up rules here and there. And, and so, you know, uh, lines, the lines, the, the age of the lines, how, how you repair or cannot repair a line. Say if we, we've got 1600 feet of line on one drum, and, uh, 
it rubs up against some rocks or something in the middle and, and gets a little frayed or a couple of crown wires broke or even one crown wire broke, you have to replace the line. Um, gotcha. The whole line. You can't splice it back together even though it's, you know, fairly new cable. So there's rules to that. Uh, you know, the, the checks that you do uh, before a guy goes over the hill every morning are extensive. It's kind of, it's more like being an airline pilot that checks, you know, cause you got a guy dangling from cables and his life down there. So we take that extremely serious and do, do checks on cables and, and shackles and chain links and, and watch for cracks in the welds and things like that, you know? And, uh, and there, you know, you have to document that check every morning and sign your name to it. And so that's, that's some of the stuff as far as where you can go and the slopes is, is usually pretty obvious. I mean, a lot of that is up to the operator's comfort level and, uh, and you can't use these things everywhere. You know, if you don't have room to be able to have two big machines and bail off a road, you know, you just, there's there's certain places that you just can't, can't work, you know? So it's, it's kind of up to the operators as far as that kind of thing. But you know, there's lots of, there's lots of rules and I think there's probably going to be more rules and regulations coming down the road as, as OSHA gets more experience with these systems. Gotcha. Yeah. That's always one of the things that I check, uh, when I go out and see these machines, like, you know, I, I weld on those tethering hitches and stuff at work and I always have it in the back of my mind, you know, that someone's going to be hanging off of this line, you know, that's attached to that hitch. And, um, every time I go out and see these machines, I always knock the, you know, saw chips off on the hitches and I look at them and stuff and, you know, guys kind of look at me sideways and I'm like, Hey, you know, I just, uh, want to make sure everything looks good. You know, there's, there's a lot of weight on those, uh, on those things. And, you know, I take a lot of pride in the work that I do at my day job. And I like to think that I'm pretty good at what I do, but I always like to check stuff like that when I'm out in the brush. Yeah. We appreciate that. That's, uh, that's part of that good service we get from Pap A and they got good people. And you're one of them. And that's, uh, you know, putting your pride in your work is, is really important, but, you're probably going to see some of those machines starting to come in as trade-ins that you put hitches on them. And that will be good, you know, to be able to uh, look at those clothes and see if we're getting any cracking anywhere that, you know, the operators haven't seen and, and uh, you know, do it better next time if there is, you know. Yeah, no, I appreciate that, Dana. It's, um, I think it's one of those things that I I don't know if it's, you know, I was raised different or something, but, you know, it's always something I try and do is, is add value for people. And I think, you know, adding extra quality into my work is one of the things I like to try and do for that. So I appreciate, you know, that guys like you appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, not everybody has, has the people that, you know, take it personally when they do something and you're one of them here. You're a good one. We love having you around. I appreciate that. So 
Um, I know that you like to barbecue. And uh, one of these days I'm going to have to go have some barbecue with you, man. Because every time I see you post on Facebook, I'm like, God, that guy can cook. <laughs> yeah, I do a lot of it. I did uh, did some yesterday. Did some. I do a lot of smoking in the smoker, so did a nice big tri tip with a couple slabs of some rock fish, and Oof. that's what I had for supper last night. I haven't been posting here as much of that because I'm supposed <laughs> to be on a damn diet. Oh, so I'll get in trouble if I post all that <laughs> stuff I'm making. No, that makes <laughs> sense. So besides that, like, what are some things you'd like to do to kind of unwind and get the stress off your shoulders? You know, this cooking thing is uh, just in the last couple of years, went through divorce and stuff. So um, I found out I kind of love it. I love doing it. And I, kind of what I'm doing now, uh, one of the things I do, I guess, to uh, unwind. I like preparing the, the meat and, and doing different things, uh, you know, out of the ordinary on the smoker. You've probably seen I do a lot of different stuff, you know, alligator and frog legs and all kinds of different things. But that's that's kind of one of my newfound things to, to unwind. So yeah. I do quite a bit of that. And Looks like you're getting pretty dang good at it from what I've seen. Yeah, I got I got some pretty big fans around here that get to eat it. So <laughs> they tell me I'm doing pretty good anyway. Yeah, I figure, you know, every time I cook dinner, I figure if there ain't no leftovers, I must have done pretty good, you know. <laughs> That's my problem is I get out there, I can't just cook a little bit, you know, I it seems like a waste to fire up that smoker and just put a couple little tiny steaks on there. I got to dig around and figure out something else to make. So there's lots of leftovers to eat later. There you go. <laughs> so kind of yeah. circling back to work stuff. Um, if there was somebody wanting to kind of get out and get into business on their own, you know, what would be some of your advice for someone that's aspiring to kind of, you know, work for themselves instead of someone else and kind of get their own outfit going? Well, um, I feel like if, if you, the individual is knowledgeable enough, um, you know, there's a lot of guys out there that can do it. And, uh, you know, you'll, it's like my dad told me, he said, you'll, you'll never know if you'd be successful at something unless you try it, you know, and, uh, you don't want to go through life thinking you should have tried it and wondering whether you would have made it or not. You know, if you're still young enough to screw up and start over and be okay. So don't be afraid to, to get out there and go for it. Um, that's kind of what I would, you know, have passed on to some guys and, and, uh, you know, they'll know when the time is right and their finances are able to get them going in that direction and, and have a spot to go to work. You know, it takes a lot of, a lot of pieces of the puzzle got to come together, but, uh, that's what I'd tell people is, you know, don't, don't be afraid to try it. 
you're still young enough to screw up and start over if it doesn't work out. It's better than living your life wondering whether you could have made it or not. I like that. That's kind of uh, how I've been looking at this whole, you know, my photography business thing is like, I don't want to be, you know, 80 years old sitting there going, man, I wonder if I ever could have made something of that, you know? Right. It's like a little more touchy now because I've got a daughter and my wife here and, you know, they kind of deserve to have a certain standard of living, you know, that they're accustomed to. So that's kind of slowing me down some, but I definitely, I definitely agree with what you're saying there. Cause I've, I've heard that advice before is, you know, what are you going to do when you're old and you never did try it? You know, that would be pretty disappointing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and you're doing some pretty neat stuff. I've I've been pretty impressed with the the things that I've seen you doing, and you know some of the books you put together, and the pictures, and the drone videos, and all that stuff. I think it's pretty cool. You know, keep after it. I appreciate that. That uh, when Doug was logging up there with his buncher, that was kind of cool. Um, you know, because it is just a bunch of front on that machine, but it still seemed like it was pretty efficient logging that unit. Yeah, it's worked out really well. Um, you know, in the in the right situations, it's it's tough with the short boom, the swing stuff. You know, up the hill on steep ground, very far, but in the right situations, it's it's really productive. It works really good. Yeah, and it's a you know, it's a machine that you've already got on the payroll. So it's like, it's nice having, you know, that kind of versatility with a one machine. Yeah. Yeah. I designed that thing about four years ago, I think. And we actually, it was at the log show. I had a brand new machine set up with the heel rack and grapples at the logging show one year. And I pitched it to warehouses that, you know, we we're capable of being able to do that kind of thing. And I don't think they really, understood you know the the well I don't think they understood the opportunity that they had to be able to utilize us and uh, they've since uh, figured that out we were able to help a buddy of mine that um, their yarders big yarder side went down and and so we helped finish the, you know, well, you came out on it and videoed that one. And that was one of the first ones we did with that setup. And they got a lot of attention from Warehouser and, and that's the direction they kind of want us to keep going in, in different places and helping, helping out logging sides, you know, in corners that, you know, it just doesn't make sense to bring a little yarder in or something or a yoder or something like that, you know, that we can, we can do while we're there. Yeah. I, I thought it was pretty cool. It's just um, one more, uh, not trick up your sleeve, really, because it's not a trick, but it's one more tool in your toolbox, I think you could say, to to just be that much more of a versatile contractor. Yeah, yeah. And we've also got another buddy of mine, uh, well, Rick Nuts and Nuts and Logging, uh, getting his 855 set up to where, uh, when we're not using the tether machine, the winch machine, um, we're getting him set up where he's got the bracket for the computer inside of there and we'll take our radio system and, and, uh, tether machine and 
and have him set up to where he can utilize our tether machine for tether logging on his own jobs oh, cool. uh, here and there, you know, because they, they just naturally, they always sit a little bit here and there just because there's regular feller bunching the guy can do without the lines. And so that's kind of a way I've thought about keeping it a little busier is to, you know, kind of farm it out a little bit if, if I can here and there and with an operator that takes care of our stuff and, and it helps them a bunch at the same time with a pretty low investment on their end. Cause you know, they just need a hitch and a lot of guys are, they're coming with hitches anyway, but, um, and, and a bracket and a wiring harness basically is all you need. And then we bring our computer system and, and put in it and the lines up and go. Oh, that'd be pretty cool. I always, yeah. I have wondered about that too. Cause like you're saying, there is a lot of just jobs where you're bunching, you know, freestyle, I guess, without the tether machine. So that would, yeah. that would be a pretty smart way to, you know, get that machine working a little bit more. If you had someone you could trust to take care of it, working with it. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'd send my operator with the machine, you know, just so I know it's being taken care of and maintenance and checked and everything the way it should be. So that's uh, something that's kind of new that's coming up that we're going to try to do with a couple people. No, I think that that's a great idea. It would keep, uh, keep your stuff from sitting. Yeah. Yep. Oh, yep. Got to run it to make money. Yeah, for sure. That's so that's kind of the weird part about tethering, right? Is it's new enough that there's guys like you guys that you tether quite a bit, but then in between tethering jobs, you know, that's a fairly substantial investment that's just kind of waiting for the next tethering job. It is. It's uh I've never had so much equipment sitting around since I've got these tether machines just um and it's kind of the nature of the beast, you know, the the uh, contract supervisors, you know, they try pretty hard to to get you on a schedule to where, you know, you got lots of tethering ground ahead of you. But, you know, it's just, like I say, it's the nature of the beast. There's always, always part of the unit that you don't need lines for or something like that. So, um, so yeah, that's something we come up with to try to keep it a little more busy. And then also the grapples and the heel rack is, is allowing us to log pieces, you know, and, and be on the system that much more, you know, we can go in and cut it and then come back, switch over and, and log part of it for them. That's pretty cool. I, I, you so, know, yeah. for, for you guys, at least, I think that's, um, that's a lot of value added, you know, for the people that you're working for. Uh, be less headache for them, you know, just to yeah, find, yeah. you know, say, Hey Dana, um, you guys want to log this corner too while you're down here cutting it, you know? Yeah. Yep. That's exactly what's been going on and, and it helps the loggers a ton and, and you know, it's, it's good for us too. We can, we can get it while we're there. So having those tether based machines just kind of sitting every now and then when you first got into tethering, did that add a little bit of stress to your day? A lot. Oh, I can't yeah. imagine. <laughs> yeah. Um, and still does, but you know, I always figured if I could get through it with the payments, you know, it's hard to pay that much for a machine that's just parked sitting around somewhere all the time. And, 
but at least I'm not wearing it out, right? So yeah. <laughs> uh, if I can that. get it paid for, and it's still a pretty young machine, then maybe I'll get several years of use out of it after it's paid for for once and, and make my money back that way. Right. No, that makes sense. Um, I don't really think I have much else for you, Dana. I appreciate you coming on and appreciate your time. This nice, it's a nice Sunday. It's nice outside. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. Um, unless you have anything else you want to add, I think my last question is going to be, uh, what's your favorite brand of pickup? Uh, my favorite brand to pick up as far as, <laughs> That's a tough question. <laughs> um, I think the best pickup out there today, as far as uh, work vehicles, is probably the Fords, and the Toyotas are pretty good too. But uh, the Fords hold up really, really well. In my my personal time, I've I've got a, a seventy-one Chevy three-quarter ton four-wheel drive that will never leave my possession. It was my dad's pickup and I restored it and and I love the Chevy stuff when I'm playing with toys. <laughs> That's a seventy one you said? Yeah. Oh man. Yep. That's a great year. Yeah, it's a it's a beautiful truck. It uh it turned out fantastic. It took uh, quite a few years to get it done, but it's uh it's a gorgeous rig. I had a seventy six Ford High Boy when I was in high school. And, uh, every time I see a picture of that, you know, like on my phone or in a photo album or something, I always kick myself in the ass for being a dumbass kid. <laughs> yep. Everybody's got those stories, don't they? The, oh. the one they should have held on to. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, well, Dana, I appreciate it, man. Um, I think this will post on March 10th. So. I really appreciate your time, and I'll see you around probably. All right, buddy. Thanks, Dana. We'll talk to you later. All right. Have a good day. You too. Goodbye. Bye. Whoa, that was my chair popped. My bad. Thanks for listening, everybody.